0: I have the privilege of doing a couple of introductions this morning and then reading the scripture. We have a uh, special worship service today and then next week a meal and a lecture and we would love for all of you to be back. Uh, my name is Pastor John Jay. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, we are in the middle of a two-week cycle where we are going to together uh, learn about what God is doing in the world. The way that we often talk about that is, is the language of missions but over time, some of our imaginations can shrink around what it means to join up with God's mission for the world. And so we have asked uh, if Dr. Amos Young, who is here today, if he would partner with us for a couple of weeks to share. Uh, and so I'll introduce him in just a second, but he's going to be our guest preacher for the day. He and his wife are both here in the front, uh, his wife Alma. And so we would love for you to meet them uh, after the service if you're able to. But the reason this is even possible that we could have this conversation together and we could bring Dr. Young here is from the generosity of Bob Mace and his late wife, Peggy Mace. Uh, So he set up a scholarship in her honor to help us and the church advance uh, education around world missions and he helped us think about how this could exist for the whole church and maybe not just one person that we would send on like a mission trip or an experience but how everyone could uh learn together and so that's what we're going to do this year but i want to share with you just a little bit about peggy's life and the reason that she stands behind this work and her legacy and her memory so here about margaret peggy smith she was born in burma on november 24th of 1921 So American Baptist missionaries Harold and Holda Smith. She grew up in Burma and attended elementary schools there until her parents sent her to an all-girls school in Montrose, Pennsylvania for high school. She graduated in '38. Her father died in her senior year, so her mother returned to the U.S. and sent Peggy to college in Ames, Iowa, for two years. And then Wheaton College, which is in Illinois, for the final two years, where she graduated in '43, And she was in the same graduating class as... Billy Graham that's right the late Billy Graham so good company she felt called really early on to be a missionary nurse with the American Baptist Foreign Mission Society so she attended Columbia University Nursing School earned her RN attended New York Theological Seminary to earn a bachelor of theology degree I don't know how many lives she's had we're only halfway through her bio Soon after, she was commissioned to go to Burma to work in the hospital where she was born. Interestingly, as a side note, when she was at the port, the very doctor who was present at her birth met her there. There's a lot of these sort of connections that if we're paying attention to our lives. So Peggy continued to serve in Burma until all the missionaries were expelled out of that area in 1956. She was then posted in Thailand, where she continued to serve as a missionary nurse until 1980 at which point she came back to the U.S. because of her mother's health, that she was, wanted to be present and help out. Her mother retired to Atherton Baptist Homes, so Peggy was employed by Atherton as a nurse in the healthcare unit where she could look after her mother. Looking back there at Craig Statton, you likely sort of have lived in Peggy's wake, and every time I go into Atherton, I can feel these memories sort of still with us and their effect. Her mother died in 82 and peggy returned to thailand to serve another four years before she retired to atherton herself in 87 she served in burma and in thailand for 39 years at atherton peggy became to be known as a recent widower to chaplain bob mace Their friendship soon developed into courtship. He told me the longer version of the story, and it is amazing. So at some point, you should grab Bob and ask him the story. They married in December 14th of 91 at First Baptist Church of Alhambra, where Peggy was a member. Nine wonderful years together. They were married before Peggy died of leukemia on November 10th of 2000. They were worshipers here. Bob is a member at this congregation and they both moved, she moved her membership to this congregation and served her last year's here. Dearly loved by all she served, both as a missionary in Burma and Thailand and as a friend to her many friends back in the U.S., particularly those at the Atherton Homes. This is her memory and the work that she did, 39 years of missionary work that allows us to have the conversations we're having today, to think deeply about what it means to be engaged in the world as God's people. Both, whether it's in Burma or Thailand or in Pasadena or Glendale or wherever you are situated. This is your place of missions. So we give thanks for her legacy and thank you for Bob Mace's generosity. Today we're going to hear a sermon with Dr. Young and then next week uh, Dr. Young is going to be back with us to do a lecture during our potluck after worship to share with us some things that are happening in the world, what God's spirit is up to. Okay. Now, I would like to introduce our preacher and then read a little bit of scripture with us. So Dr. Young, I got to meet Dr. Young, I don't know, like six or seven months ago. We went to California Pizza Kitchen and hung out and he shared some of what's happening in his life. Uh, you have this some sort of exuberant amount of energy and uh, we will welcome that, right? We are used to that at this point. <laughs> Let me share a little bit about Dr. Young's path and uh, some of what he will bring today. Dr. Amos Young is professor of theology and missions and the director of the Center for Missiological Research at Fuller Theological Seminary, which is right down the street. His graduate education includes degrees in theology, history, religious studies from Western Evangelical Seminary, which is now Portland Seminary, and Portland State University, both in Portland, Oregon, where, you know, Jessica, some friends from back home. Also, uh, attended Boston University in Boston, Massachusetts. An undergraduate degree from Bethany University in the Assemblies of God tradition. He's authored or edited, a pro- this can't be right. Authored and edited approximately four dozen volumes. He and his wife, all have three children and three grandchildren. And you all are part of the community here in Pasadena, California. There's a lot more that I've not said here. Uh, but we will have you for a couple of weeks. So thank you for being with us. Now, I'm going to read the scripture and then we're going to hear a sermon. This is from Acts 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me. We're going to read verses 17 through verse 21. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream Dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please share with us.
1: Thank you, Pastor John, Jay, and uh, we're just honored, and my wife and I are honored in, to be here uh, to give the, uh, spend this time with you this morning and next week as well. What an incredible story and witness that's been left by the mesas in their life and their work, and we're excited to be here with you this morning. If you have your Bible, so if we had turned to it, uh, keep your fingers there in Acts 2. Um, we're also going to go into Acts 1 for just a few moments. Uh, And if you want to take a moment to kind of sort of find that while you're doing that, can I also just share with you for a couple moments my version of how I got here today? Is that okay? Um, You heard Pastor John Jay's version a few moments ago. Um, My version of it goes something like this, that uh, once April 22nd was decided upon as the date for um, the MACE uh, mission lecture and mission service and then the next week, the mission lecture, Pastor John Jay said, I want to get the the most renowned and accomplished and heralded missionary I can to come to First Baptist Church, April 22nd, 29th. Somebody say amen. Right? I need a little help here. Oops. Um, so he, he really wanted to, to get the most you know, renowned and accomplished missionary to come and spend a couple Sundays with the congregation. And you all said amen to that. So he, he looks up on his phone and, he, and he tries to figure out who's the most renowned and accomplished missionary he knows. Finds that person. Calls that person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you come April 22nd, 29 for the MACE uh, mission sermon and, and lecture? Person looks on their calendar and has a conflict for one of those days and had to really apologize that they couldn't make it, you know? So uh, Pastor John Jay was not going to be deterred. He says, if I can't get the most renowned and accomplished uh, missionary that I know, I'm just going to have to get the most uh, brilliant and articulate missionary I know. Somebody say Amen. So he goes back, to, you know, there's a little drawing board here, and, uh, who's the most brilliant and, uh, and, uh, an, an articulate missionary he knows, finds that person, gives him a call. April 22nd, 29, can you come to First Baptist Church Pasadena to share in the MACE uh, sermon and uh, lecture the following Sunday? Person looks on the calendar and has a conflict for the other weekend, and so unfortunately had to turn it down. Pastor John G is getting really, really desperate by this point. He says, like, I couldn't get the most renowned and accomplished missionary I know. I couldn't get the most brilliant and articulate missionary I know. I'm just going to have to get the best looking missionary I know. Looks on his little phone here and, uh, you know, calls that person and I pick up the phone. <coughs> Thank you. Thank you. So Brother Amos, can you come April twenty second, twenty nine for the uh Mace uh, sermon and lecture the following week? Can you please uh can you please make some time for, his, for us for to do that? I looked at my calendar and said, Pastor John Jay, boy, you know I've got I've got these these conflicts, you know, but but I'm gonna come, Pastor John Jay. I'm gonna come, somebody say amen. Just because I just can't bear to say no to you three times in one day. That's, that's my version of uh, how, how I got here this morning. <clears throat> I want to read also um, three verses in Acts chapter 1 as a prelude to uh, what Pastor John Jade read in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6, 7, and 8, and I'm also reading from New Revised Standard Version. You can follow in your Bible from the pew as well if you'd like to. And uh, Luke writes this, When they had come together, they asked Jesus, Holy Spirit, again, you've been already with us as we have worshiped this morning. Continue to be in our midst. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to share with you this morning from Acts 1 and 2, the when, the where, and the who of mission. It should be very easy, right? The when, the where, and the who of mission. And as you as you read this text, this is the mission of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The mission of the Holy Spirit uh, that I want to suggest when this happens, it's told in Acts chapter 2, the first four verses. When the day of Pentecost had come. And they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Watch out now. There's an entire house of folks sitting right here this morning. Come on, somebody. Uh Oh. (laughs) Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. When is the time for mission? When the day of Pentecost had come. The time of mission is initiated by the day of Pentecost. And we know that Luke tells us that this day happened two thousand years ago. It's always been God's time for mission. And and in particular I also believe it's, it's always God's time for mission when it says suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. It's always God's time for mission when those who participate in his mission experience the presence of his Holy Spirit. God's time for mission is a time in which He gives His Spirit and then that invites you and I to participate in His Spirit's work in the world. And I I find this to be quite a powerful set of images as I listen here about a sound like the rush of a violent wind, right? These sounds and then the rush and then the sort of the language of violence um, this, this this description is not about something that happens sort of out there. If you, if you hear the language, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And then it says it filled the entire house where they were sitting. In other words, when the Spirit came upon the people of God, it wasn't far away, it was in our midst, in our presence. This rush and this sort of violence is sort of felt. So the, there's a feeling as well. It's not just a, a hearing of a distant event, but it's a feeling of a of a present event. Right? It filled the entire house, you know. And and imagine the last time that you were in perhaps worship this morning for a few moments ago. Right? When you were in a room in which the sounds permeated the building. Okay? And when you, when you're in a room and you feel the sound, now you find yourself caught up in the sound, if you will. That's exactly the language that we have here in Acts chapter 2, right? A sound that rushed like a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. In other words, this coming of the Spirit is not a kind of coming that allows us to sort of exclude ourselves. We find ourselves caught up in this presence, this sort of resounding, if you will, space, resounding space. So when you think about resounding spaces, you know, uh, when when you, when you hear sort of a sound coming from a distance, you can kind of orient yourself and say, okay, it's coming from that direction or it's coming from that direction. But, but imagine you're in a room and it is resounding, right? Which means a sound is coming from what direction? every direction you're caught up in this sound there's no part of you that can escape the sound you can't turn away and unfocus yourself from this sound right this sound surrounds it's called surround sound long before they made up this stuff in the electronic world this is the original pentecostal surround sound when the spirit gets Poured into a space. It fills that space. And those who are within that space find themselves literally enveloped. Surrounded. Caught up. And you know, when it says here that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean, there's this surroundingness, if you will, but there's also this very, very specified moment, touch points, right? Divided tongues as a fire appeared and a tongue rested on each one. You get a sense in which one, th- these these 120 found themselves surrounded and caught up on the one hand. But yet there was this very, very particular, and specific sort of touch of the Spirit upon them as well. The Spirit doesn't to talk anymore. Oh. We'll see what we can do. Maybe I
0: I'm going to give you an optional mic. We always want to make sure the guest speaker has a little bit harder time preaching than the main speaker. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So there's being filled, surrounded on the one hand. But then there's this specificity of divided tongues resting on each head on the other hand. And then they began, they were filled, they began to speak. You know, John says that when the Spirit comes, that rivers of living water shall well up from within. So imagine this This description here, right, where these 120 found themselves enveloped, surrounded, and then touched in very specific ways. And then from deep within, surrounded by this rushing, violent wind, and yet from deep within comes forth the speaking in languages as the Spirit gives them ability. When is the time of mission? It's when the day of Pentecost had come. And when they were all together in one place. I I think that's also so important. You know, sometimes we think that, that mission is us individuals going off and doing our thing. And even when we heard the story of the Mesas, I mean, even when they went forth as missions, they had churches supporting them, praying with them. Somebody say amen, right? The work of mission is the work of the people of God. It's when the Spirit of Pentecost had come and they were all together in this one place. Just like we are. When is the right time? The right time is when we, the people of God, find ourselves participating in the work of the Holy Spirit together. And yeah, each one of us may have a specific task. Each one of us may have a specific call. Each one of us may have a specific place. But we can reach out into that space. We can move into that task. We can respond to that call. Not because we're individuals, but because we're one body sent by the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Somebody say amen. When is the time? When the day of Pentecost had come. And when they were all together in one place, all together experiencing the move of the Spirit, all together being inspired of that Spirit, and then through that inspiration of the Spirit, through that motivation of the Spirit, then being ourselves motivated from this one space to step out to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, wherever God might call us, when the day of Pentecost had come. And where... His mission. I think we've already begun to see this, starting in verse 5. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. Asia! Hey, hello somebody. I get a little excited every time I see the word Asia. I was born in Malaysia, by the way. Any Malaysians here? (laughs) <laughs> my neighbor, all right. all right, so let's get back to the Bible. Um, Pontus and Asia, Phrygian Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean? What does this mean?" Where is the place of mission? You know, as I read in, in Acts chapter 1 just a few moments ago as we started, you know, we know that the place of mission is starting in Jerusalem, going to, Ju- Ju- to Judea, then to Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. Luke's perspective is that everywhere is the place of mission. Somebody say amen. All right, that, that's not, not too bad. Not too bad for Baptist church. Not too bad for Baptist Church, but what's interesting, it does say here in chapter two, verse five, right that 's I read, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. Think about that. you know the whole book of Acts is as it was outlined in the table of contents, which is Acts one eight, which I read to you earlier. You know, the book of Acts, the story of Acts starts in Jerusalem and ends. It starts in Jerusalem, goes through Judea into Samaria, and it ends in Acts 28 in Rome. See, Acts 1.8 gives us the table of contents for where the mission of God goes throughout the 28 chapters. But I found it profound that the day of Pentecost itself had people from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. The day of Pentecost had... All the nations of the earth gathered in Jerusalem. In fact, did you hear earlier when when I read in, in verse 11 that it said there were also visitors from Rome gathered in Jerusalem? Think about that. You know that the gospel did not need to wait until Acts 28 to get to Rome. Because there were Romans in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. I told you I was, a few minutes ago I was born in Malaysia. And you, some of you might know that if you were to be able to drill a hole starting right here, at First Baptist Church, all the way to the other side of the world, you're gonna come out in Kuala Lumpur. Which is Malaysia. It's, it's literally the ends of the earth from right here in Southern California. How many of you knew that, right? Right? So you could say something like, my own life has seen me experience starting in my Jerusalem, which is Kuala Lumpur, and going to the ends of the earth, which is First Baptist Church in Pasadena, California. Somebody say amen. That's the truth. On the other hand, you could say it for yourselves, right, that if, if, if your, if our Pasadena is my Rome, our Pasadena is your Jerusalem, hello, starting in Pasadena, going out into the L.A. County area, extending into California and to the ends of the earth and landing in Kuala Lumpur. Somebody say amen, right? It's all matter of perspective. Everywhere is the right place for participating in the mission of God. But everywhere means also somewhere, which is for us... Right here, or maybe we live in Glendora, or whatever other space is your Jerusalem. And guess what? I mean, this is an incredible image of sort of what I would call first century globalization. You know, if you think about it, they were all gathered in Jerusalem. People literally from around their known world, the known Mediterranean world. And, and that's what basically Luke describes as people from around the known world. Mediterranean world gathered in their backyard. And guess what, folks? You and I living here today in Pasadena or in Monrovia or in any one of these cities around here that you might live in. You and I live in a 21st century global context, don't we? Just like they did 2,000 years ago. And you can look around outside your neighborhood and literally you can say and you can see that there are going to be devout people from every nation under heaven living on my block. There are going to be devout people from every nation under heaven working in the next QB, QB spot for mine or working in the next office for mine or, or working down the street for me. You're going to be able to say that my kids go to school with people from literally every nation under heaven. You know, that's God's heart for every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And thank God we don't have to go to every nation because God has already seen it fit to bring every nation to us. Amen. And the question that we need to just keep asking ourselves is, Lord, how do we reach out and embrace? Or how do we yeah, we don't even have to step into a plane to go to sub-Saharan Africa. Amen? We can we can step outside of our workspace. We can step outside of our neighborhood. We can step into our neighborhood, actually, and we can immediately rub shoulders with people living from or, or derived from every nation under heaven in our lives. In our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our in our workspaces, God has brought the nations to us. I find this a powerful image as we think about where the mission of God unfolds. I want to wait one more one more comment about this passage because it does say that. I mean, think about oh, two more comments. You know, Arabs. You know, when when I think about when I think about how. The Holy Spirit was poured out and, and the language of Arabic was spoken back two thousand years ago and Then I wonder about all the opportunities that these early apostles and, and followers of Jesus would have had to to interact with with these arab speaking peoples or, or people that came from these Arab countries. Boy, what a difference wouldn 't it have made if if the church would have been strengthened across these Hebrew and Greek onto Arabic lines. I mean, think about how the history of the last two thousand years would have been different if we had continued to build on what we see here in Acts chapter two. I want to invite us to, to not underestimate the opportunities that God gives you and I to rub shoulders with people literally from every nation in heaven that's in our lives that God brings into our lives. And then I also note as it says here that um, it says that there were visitors from Rome, visitors from Rome. See, Rome wasn't necessarily recognized as just sort of another country, right? Because in this first century time, Rome represented sort of the, the overarching na- nation that covered all of these other countries. It was called the Peace of Rome. It was called the Roman Empire, and so from that perspective everybody was bilingual you know they speak they spoke Greek and Hebrew they spoke Arab and and Greek they spoke uh, Galilean and Greek they spoke Parthianian and Greek Greek being the language of Rome Greek being the the international I mean kind of like the English of the first century if you will something along those lines But I find it incredible that that it says that these visitors from Rome I mean Rome was the the political center of the first century You know, Luke tells us that the story of Jesus unfolded in the days of Caesar. The whole story of Jesus, the whole story of the apostles undertaking the mission of God unfolded in a political context, a Roman imperial context, space and time. And and God ensures that there were those from Rome who were also there at the day of Pentecost. And I find that to be an invitation for us to think about the fact that this congregation has been established right here in Pasadena. Across the street from Imperial Pasadena. Somebody say amen. I mean, you're not quite thinking of the city of Pasadena as an imperial site necessarily. But the point is that Christian faith is lived out in a polis, in a public space. And these first century followers of Jesus lived out their calling in this Roman space. You and I today live out our missionary calling here in Pasadena, here in L.A. County, here in the state of California, here in the United States, and then also as citizens of this world. And all the more important I think it is for us today to think about as we think about movement, migration, people coming from every part of the world, every nation in heaven living in our space? How can we also understand our participation in the mission of God within these political contexts that we live? How can we understand our witness as being toward Romans, those politicians, if you will, those governments, if you will, that we have all got to deal with? I know that we oftentimes want to think about our faith as being non-partisan and being apolitical, and there's something right about that. But just because we're non-partisan and apolitical doesn't mean that politics has nothing to do with our faith. Participating in the mission of God is participating in this world, in this public space, whether it's in Pasadena or in L.A. County or in the United States of America and also around the world. I want to close by looking at how Peter explains the mission of God. We've talked a little bit about the when of mission. When the Spirit is poured out. We've talked about the where of mission. Involving those from every nation in heaven. And the who. Who's involved. And here I want to go to the last passage where Peter explains. Calling from the prophet Joel that the passage John J. read. In the last days it will be. You know Peter's here trying to explain about who's involved. God declares, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Pinch your neighbor. Uh, not too hard. Uh, is that flesh? Well, then you fit. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, how many of you are not the son or daughter to somebody? I didn't think so. Yeah? Everybody's a son or daughter of somebody. Amen. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, I know everybody here is young. Somebody say, Amen. See, you all fit again. And upon my slaves, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. See, it doesn't matter whether we're slaves, don't have much, or more affluent than God has blessed. Whether you're male or female, young or old, even those of us who are old can dream Amen. Or I should put it this way. Those of us who are a bit more matured than the others. We we can dream. And those dreams can be activated by the Spirit at the right places and at the right times. You know, these are the last days of the Spirit. Has been for 2,000 years. You don't have to go looking for, you know, uh, end times charts that will explain the next whatever, how many years. Scriptures tell us that the last days started 2,000 years ago when the day of Pentecost had come. And on those days, in those days, God wants to invite all flesh, sons and daughters, young and old, slave and free, all to participate in His mission. Bow me in prayer. Holy Spirit, you who came 2,000 years ago, To surround us, to fill us, to inspire us, to gather us from one place and to send us. You who came 2,000 years ago and brought the nations to us. You who came 2,000 years ago and established us across the street from City Hall. You who came 2,000 years ago in a century of migration and you who are at work now amidst global migration. You who came 2,000 years ago to pour out your spirit in the last days upon male and female, young and old, slave and free. Come Holy Spirit one more time. We open up our hearts. We open up our hands. Come Holy Spirit. Fill us once again. In Jesus name.